Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. I'm Laura Shera, your host for today. And joining me on the podcast is Lynette Anderson, who is an interpretive naturalist for Belwyn Conservancy. And Lynette, welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here today. Well, I am thrilled to have you join us today. Uh, Lynette and I had a chance a few weeks ago to spend the afternoon together at Belwyn Conservancy. And if you're not familiar with what um, Belwyn offers or what it is, we'll have Lynette explain all that, but it is located in Afton. And before we even get started, I highly recommend you put this on your calendar for some time this summer or fall to take a visit because it's a pretty special place. And uh, Lynette was my tour guide, per se, for the afternoon. And there is so much conservation effort happening on this property, including working with bison and restoring prairies. And I was enthralled, Lynette, with how much you shared with me on how bison are natural conservationists, which makes sense because they've been roaming our earth for thousands of years. And I wanted to... um, have you on to kind of share some of the unique information that uh, you're doing at Bellwin, but also with bison. So do we want to start with what is Bellwin Conservancy for those who haven't heard of it before? Sure. Uh, Bellwin Conservancy is a donor-supported nonprofit, roughly 1,500 acres just north of Afton on Stagecoach Trail or County 21. And we really strive to protect wild spaces and connect people to nature. And uh, Belwyn is, is it approximately about 1,500 acres that you are managing? Yep, we have six non-contiguous parcels and they average from uh, 30 acres up to 300 acres. And some of those are available for public hiking, skiing, snowshoeing, bird watching, and then some of those are uh, for other uses, which we can talk about as well. Yeah. So um, why don't we start with probably one of the biggest attractions, I'm guessing. I don't know for sure. But it, you have some bison that are helping you restore some prairie there. So um, why don't we you know, start with that parcel of land? Because it is free to visit the bison and they have a little viewpoint stand that you can go check them out. So what? how did this even come about to have the prairie restoration and bring the bison in and um, this unique spot that they're there. So back in the early 2000s, David Hartwell, who's the grandson of the founder, Charlie Bell, was really interested in getting bison onto the land, um, primarily, I think, to show that uh, bison could be economically viable Uh, and make prairie restoration something other than just taking land off the tax rolls and having it be a private place that nobody could visit. So to be able to bring bison out there, have a a private entity, North Star Bison in this case, uh, own the herd, and then we provide all the grazing land for them. They get a profit off of it. The prairie uh, benefits from all of the things that bison do for it. Uh, That was kind of the beginning idea. And in 2008, that was the first year that we um, partnered with them. I don't remember the size of the herd. I think it was right around 20 animals. They brought them over and left them on the prairie for the summer. Uh, We had a little bit of a bison release at the time, invited people to come. And um, 
And that's been continuing now. This is our 16th year. And now uh, just from a very small release in the spring in May, we have a really fun uh, bison festival. So we have um, musicians, we have food, we have vendors, uh, we have a 5K fun run. So it's a, it's a big deal. And the community seems to just love it. Oh, I bet they do. I mean, seeing a herd of bison run, and this is um, in the realm of bison herds, I guess, is a smaller herd. I mean, it's you have about, what, 35 bison on the property? Yeah, we do this year have uh, 32, actually, and it varies yep. from year to year, depending on what, uh, what North Star's management goals are for some of their animals and um, what the grazing is like out there, what the drought maps look like. So it's it's a really interesting process to see what we get and uh, yeah. Yeah. It is. It's to see bison in real life is, well, I'll speak for myself. When I saw, I was just in um, Custer state park in South Dakota back in uh, April and we went through and to see the amount of bison they have on that um in the state park is incredible, but it really brings you back to like trying to imagine what our earth was like um, hundreds of years ago when there were, I don't, was it in the millions were the bison, the amount that there were roaming our prairies and sorry, go ahead. Oh, they estimate that there were 30 million uh, at one time, which is phenomenal to think about. And um, at the end of that time period, uh, middle 1800s, they were down to a thousand. I, A, it blows my mind that that could even happen. Um, and also the thought of 30 million um, roaming across the prairie. And even when you see smaller herds running, the thunder of their hooves and the power that you feel underneath the earth rumbling, I can only imagine what it was when there was 30 million of them. But um, so to see even 32 is a really unique opportunity. And um, when we uh, took the bison buggy tour, and we should um, first put out there that um, the bison tower, viewing tower is available free. And how many months is that available to to the public? Uh, May through September. May through September. And then they, um, Bellwin also offers a bison buggy tour. And I Cannot recommend this enough. This was so fun to go out in the bison buggy tour. This is a paid tour, of course, going to a good cause, nonprofit Bellwin. And um, you have the opportunity to spend some time with Lynette. And you took us on this um, tour up to the bison and you shared so many interesting facts on how they are helping the prairie become, you know, back to prairie conservation. And I would love for you to share some of those unique things that we were chatting about from um, the wallowing to how some grass seeds get stuck in their um, fur when they shed it in the spring. You know, what are some of like the uniqueness of why bison are so important to our prairies? Yeah, I I find bison just fascinating. And um, like you said, seeing them out there, even a small number of them just really evokes this beautiful historical vision of what it might have been like to see them in those large herds. And bison are a unique North American mammal. They're a keystone species for prairies. And a keystone species is an animal that if it were not present, then other things would not happen. Other animals would not have a place to be. 
So what makes bison a keystone species on the prairie is that they have um, different kinds of behaviors and habits that they do. For example, uh, they have uh, um, a specific way of walking lightly on their hooves and they have little ridges on the insides of their hooves so that when they walk, they're disturbing the soil in such a way that they're moving it around and allowing some air to infiltrate. So that's one of the things that they do for prairies. The wallowing that you mentioned is where they'll go down on the ground and they'll roll back and forth, back and forth, get up and shake. And then another bison will come in and they'll roll back and forth, back and forth. They'll get up and shake. And what they're doing when they're wallowing is really scratching insect bites and getting off all of that old um, winter cape that they've been carrying around. And as they've been grazing in the grasses, they've been picking up seeds on that fur. So when they go down to wallow and some of that fur comes off, the seeds then get dispersed um, and the fur goes on the ground. Uh, that's an opportunity for small mammals like um, meadow voles and 13 line ground squirrels. They can use that material for nesting, but those wallows, the Amazing thing about them is that they, um, bison after bison compacts the soil and it makes a little divot or a little pond on, on the prairie. And that then, because the soil is so compacted, becomes a little water area after a rain event. Prairies are like deserts in that water is the limiting factor. So anytime you can get water onto a prairie for other critters to use, that's a benefit. So those wallows uh, do hold water longer because the soil is compacted from the weight of the bison. And we see a lot of different birds using it. We see dragonflies using it. We see butterflies using it. Small mammals, like I mentioned, the 13 line ground squirrel, meadow voles, fox, coyote, deer, even the bison themselves will go back to the wallows when they're wet. And if they roll in the mud, then that's instant insect protection for them. So that's, those are just a few of the amazing um, things that bison do for the prairie. And if they weren't there, then we wouldn't have some of those other critters there either. You know, and when she's, you know, when you're chatting about the wallows, there's actually specific places where the bison wallow. So they don't tear up the prairie and wallow all over the place, of course. They have basically like one or two spots and they will walk to those spots to do the wallowing. And that again, then creates, of course, the rainwater for um, breeding pools of amphibians and whatever else. But um, I thought that was so unique that they they don't choose to roll kind of just anywhere in the prairie. They go find these spots. <laughs> right. Yeah, the seed dispersal that comes out of that is also really important. And of course, it just doesn't happen from them wallowing. But as they're moving and they're picking up seeds, they're also dropping those seeds when they lie down or, you know, when they rub up against another bison. And so um, they really help to keep the prairie as a whole more dynamic. So those uh, flower seeds and grass seeds are not just staying in one place. They're not just dropping to the ground. They're actually being distributed. So we get a more homogenous blend of the prairie. And Sometimes they might be dropping a few more um, bergamot seeds in one area and a few more big blue stem seeds in another area. So it's that 
that idea of um, many parts making a whole makes it more stable and um, provides other opportunities for other critters to come in and use those spaces. It's summer season, which means thunderstorms can roll on in. Are you prepared for a power outage at your home or business? The Minnesota Propane Association wants you to know that installing a propane generator will ensure peace of mind when the power goes out. Also, the same propane that powers your generator can also power all the major appliances in your home. Installing propane appliances instead of electric appliances in your home or business will reduce the size and cost of the generator. Imagine running all your gas appliances at one time versus picking and choosing which electric ones to run during a power outage. Reliable, affordable, safe. Propane, the energy for everyone. To find out more about generators and propane appliances, go to propane.com. Also, it's time for Connecticut. You know, our Minnesota cabin life is in full swing. In fact, we're just back from four days up north. Such a joy now that we have Connecticut water in the woods. Last year, we were lucky enough to add Connecticut water at the cabin, and oh boy, what a difference. For as long as I can remember, we've dealt with that stinky, foul well water. But really, after a painless four-hour installation, we have Connecticut soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make early morning coffee. Great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. Our laundry no longer smells funny. And Connecticut water cleaned up the showers and the dishes. The world's most efficient worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Propane, it's clean, efficient fuel produced right here in the United States. Schedule your propane service with a friend. Lakes Gas, a family-owned provider serving the upper Midwest for more than 60 years. 54 convenient locations in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Now with offices in North Dakota and South Dakota too. Lakes Gas employees live in the communities they serve, so you can expect personalized service from professionals. Oh, and the Lakes Gas offers competitive pricing without all the extras that tend to drive up fuel prices. Safe, dependable service. Lakes Gas the right choice for your home, business, or farm. Visit lakesgas.com and join the family. Uh, we also chatted about prairie birds and how, you know, metal, metal larks are um, sadly on the decline due to lack of essential prairies here in um, across our country. And bison are also helping our prairie bird population. Yeah, so same thing with the wallows. They're creating um, wet areas for the birds to be. And uh, bison, just by way of moving around, also help to keep some of the woody vegetation. Uh, we all are familiar with buckthorn or amber maple or honeysuckle. Their movements help to also uh, keep those woody, woody species at bay. And um, grassland birds... Uh, as a whole, are, I think, one of the most endangered populations of birds, if you look at bird populations from different habitat types. Wow. There are uh, birds called obligate prairie species that can only nest in uh, grasslands or prairies, 
Those are, like you said, the meadowlark, the dick sisal, the bobolink, the henslow sparrow, the grasshopper sparrow, uh, eastern kingbirds. All of these birds are just really, really um, dependent on uh, these grassland areas. So by having the bison there moving around, creating these diverse habitats, uh, creating these small micro places like the wallows, that's all really helpful for those bird populations to not only survive, but thrive and flourish. And do you think there is a, a great understanding and how important it is to conserve our prairies? I, I kind of feel like that's one conservation area you, you just don't hear much about. You know, we're always hearing about keeping water clean and um, our wetlands protected. I, I f- and maybe it's just me, but I feel like the prairie conservation of course, we've heard of it, but do you think it's as well known on how important it is that we we protect our prairies? I think that it's coming along. I think that's changed over time. I've been uh, doing this naturalist work for a long time now, and when I started, I did not hear a lot about prairies. There were woodlands and there were um, riverways and floodplain forests and things like that, but as I've uh, come along in my work, uh, prairies have certainly gained importance. And I think uh, because they make such great farmland, that's the first thing that comes to people's minds. But um, as a habitat as a whole, I, I really think there are groups out there like the prairie enthusiasts that are doing a great job of uh, promoting uh, education for the general public. We certainly are doing a lot around that. So I think uh, other places are as well. Um, I, I think there's a greater appreciation coming, and I think we don't necessarily understand prairies, uh, grasses, and flowers like we understand trees and the value of trees for shade and lumber and food products. We don't we don't necessarily see what prairies really offer us in way uh, in those kinds of ways. That's so true. And I, this is why I love the program of having North Star bison grazing on the Bellwin Conservancy Prairie because, you know, this word regenerative farming is becoming, um, and I'm so happy for this, but it's becoming more of a recognized practice of how you may buy your meats and or agriculture products. Um and North Star and Bellwin are showing that um, regenerative farming and the practice of using, um, you know, bison for uh, prairie conservation all can go hand in hand. So you can have healthy environments, you can have a healthy uh, byproduct, which is bison meat to consume, and it all works seamlessly and perfectly in our environment. And that's why I. Um, find this your project to be you know a so fantastic but b it's a great way for introducing younger generations and kids to bring them out there to understand why bison are so important and um and so and also to teach people on how what prairie conservation and the importance of of that too well i think the term regenerative agriculture is such a new term and a new cutting edge idea. I love it. And the bottom line about regenerative agriculture is that it's all about the soil health. 
So having uh, an animal on the land that is uh, uniquely adapted to be there, like the bison, their dung is going to fertilize that soil in a way that's been happening for thousands of years. I said before, the way that they walk is unique, unlike cows, which kind of grind their way around and they don't tend to migrate as much. Uh, the bison have a little bit more of a clipping action as they're walking and they do migrate. So they're not impacting in such a large way like a cattle herd might. Uh, so it's, it's just really all about uh, soil health and if you relate that to then the health of the animal and the health of the crop coming off that soil, in this case, big blue stem and Indian grass, and then that product, that meat product that comes from that grass that comes to the human is just so far superior because it's been stewarded uh, in such a way that there's this whole caring attitude around it. I, I just think that there's an energy with all of that that really passes through each stage of that process. And the more we can understand where our food comes from and how it comes from there, the better off we'll all be and the healthier we'll be. That is so true. I am such an advocate of um, purchasing products and supporting farmers who are doing regenerative farming. And, you know, not only do I feel good about the purchase and how it's uh, helpful for the environment, but also the what you had mentioned, the nutrient dense product that you're getting for consumption um, is far superior. And I, you know, when I'm grocery shopping, I don't have wild game in my freezer all the time. So I do purchase bison frequently, or if it is um, beef, I, I purchase it from regenerative farmers and, and things like that. Cause I, I just feel great about all the whole process involved, but also of course the nutrients of the product. So um, it is fascinating to see it grow in um, popularity and also just awareness. And I hope that um, it continues to do so for, of course, the sake of our um, our planet. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited about it. And you had also mentioned one other unique thing too about bison and how they graze the grasses. They kind of, they give it a haircut versus pulling it out at the root system. Right. So when we're out on the prairie, one of the ways we gauge the health of how our prairie is doing with the bison out there is by the height of the grass that they're eating. So they, when they go to the smorgasbord of the prairie, there are flowers, there are uh, non-native grasses, there are native grasses, um, just this whole offering of different kinds of food to eat for them. And They'll eat, uh, depending on what's offered to them, they'll eat what's out there, but their preferred foods at the prairie smorgasbord would be the tall grasses, the Indian grass, the big blue stem. And they don't, as you said, eat it right down to the ground like the cows do. Cows will go right down to ground level and they actually have more of a tearing motion when they're eating. So they're really pulling on the grasses and can dislodge the roots. Bison, on the other hand, have this very narrow jaw and their eating action is more like a pair of tweezers. So they come down and if you ever watch them, I hope everybody will come out and watch the bison move across the prairie as they're eating. It's just so fascinating to see because they'll take little bites and they will do a pull, but it's a very quick kind of pull. And then they come right up and they move along to the next 
little area of grass. So they're not staying in one place. They're moving as they eat. And again, that tweezer-like biting motion, they only go down. Mm, they leave probably anywhere from three to four to five to six inches of the grass intact. So when you do go out there, and I think you saw this, Laura, when we were there, it does look like a lawnmower went right across the prairie. It's so fascinating to see. And that's that's another thing that they are uniquely adapted to doing that because they've evolved with the prairie over thousands and thousands of years. And it is fascinating. And not only, they give it a, a very even haircut. It's not even yeah. uneven. Yeah. yeah, right. It's like a little crew cut. It totally is. <laughs> and, um, and you know, there's, when people watching, you know, social media things and see people at Yellowstone or whatever, getting out of their car, getting too close to bison, they perceive them as being really aggressive animals. And um, of course they can be if you are in a getting too close to their space, but with the tour buggy and the bison observation deck, um, number one, you have a herd of some young males altogether. So there's no, uh, females with babies or um, any sort of rutting season that's going that would make any of the males really aggressive. They're pretty docile when you're out there in the buggy. Yes, that's true. So they're all roughly around two years old. They're a production herd as opposed to a conservation herd. So they will become a saleable meat product at, at uh, well, later on this fall. And they are just so chill. Uh, they, if you know, if they're, they're big animals, they can take care of themselves. They have ample tools to protect themselves from any kind of predator. Uh, and there's nothing out there uh, on our prairie. And I would imagine other places as well. There's nothing out there to really upset them. So uh, they are pretty docile. They're undomesticated, which means they're not trained and they're not tame. They are wild and they can be prone to, you know, if they get startled in some way or if somebody comes into their space, they're going to respond in some way. But for the most part, our bison at Bellwin are real chill. They just like to hang out and they'll look at you and chew their cud and go down to wallow and come back up and be on their way. They just pay attention to their own business. So, so cool. If, yeah. So if you have a chance, stop by Bellwin Conservancy, check out the bison uh, viewing platform. There's all sorts of information. Bellwin, you guys do such a great job with your signage. So you can learn a lot about the bisons just from stopping by on the observation deck. Um, but I highly recommend if you have a group to take Lynette's tour in the bison buggy. I cannot recommend it enough. You can get uh, close to the bison. You, of course, stay on the buggy and um, see uh, how they interwork with the prairie. But besides the, the bison, you, uh, Bellwin offers quite a bit of other, you know, unique places to visit and also some events that you guys have throughout your um, park, it's especially some coming up in August. Right. So, so I am often asked the question, what's a Bellwin? <laughs> Which I think is pretty funny. Um, so we are a conservancy, which means we protect land and restore habitats. Uh, but I like to I like to compare Bellwin to being a mosaic, and we are such a mosaic of habitat types. So we've talked a little bit about the prairie, but we also have woodlands. We have about a hundred acres of restored oak savanna. 
we have floodplain forests, we have, um, we have marshes and wetlands. And so just this wonderful array of 1500 acres of habitat that is available for native species to survive, thrive, uh, reproduce. We're really happy about that. And then we also are kind of a mosaic of partnerships. We do have a lot of things going on. It's very, it's so fun to be a part of all of this because every day there's something a little bit different happening somewhere. So our oldest partnership is with the St. Paul Public Schools. And this began back in the 70s with an agreement between Charlie Bell, his wife, Lucy Winton Bell, and the St. Paul Public Schools District. They were looking for a place to bring kids for an outdoor learning experience. And um, those people all met and decided, let's try this. And so in 1971, the first group of students came out and it's been going on ever since. So. Uh, all uh, third and fifth graders from St. Paul Public Schools get to come out for a day of learning here at Belwyn. So one of our um, properties is dedicated just for that. The uh, school, yeah, the school kids get to have a very intimate day in nature. Uh, it's about a one instructor to ten to twelve students. They learn everything from orienteering to outdoor survival to pond studies to um, birding, uh, animal investigations, insects on the prairie. I mean, the curriculum is very diverse and the teachers are absolutely fabulous. So that's, that's probably, uh, well, I used to teach for that program, so I'm biased. I, I think Aww. that's one of our best programs. Sounds and fabulous. Also, yeah. Yeah. It's just great. And to see the look on the kids' faces when they come, they're timid and a little scared and they don't really know what to expect. And by the time they're leaving, they've just had this beautiful, expansive, intimate relationship and day of learning with nature. And it's, they're just all smiling and happy and joyful. And it's a, it's a great thing to see. Oh, of course. That's what nature does best, right? Put smiles on people's faces. That's right. Uh, and then we have uh, all of the entities that we partner with have some relationship to getting people out of doors. So we have a place up by the Bison Prairie uh, off of Hudson Road and Stagecoach Trail, the Lucy Winton Bell ball fields. Some of the listeners may have nieces or nephews or grandkids or kids that uh, play soccer, football or baseball up there. We have about 100,000 people move through there in a year. We have a partnership with the Minnesota Astronomical Society. We have a telescope, one of the two 10-inch reflecting telescopes that are in the state of Minnesota. We have one on one of our sites. And so whenever we have evening events, the astronomers who are amazing come out and invite people to come into the observatory and they can look through the different sizes of lenses and see Venus or a galaxy or a nebula or the moon. Uh, they have solar filters for the daytime so the students can go and look at the sun. That's a great, a great partnership. Uh, North Star Bison, of course, Family Means is a community organization out of Stillwater that works with a lot of different populations. One of the programs that we do with them is their early onset dementia programming. So they bring a group out here once a week and we do some programming with those folks. It's so that's such a rewarding program. Mm -hmm. because Again, like we've said, nature is the great healer. It's it's 
part of all of us. And so to get people back to it is just, it's an extraordinary thing to watch what happens when people get back to nature. I bet. Um, <laughs> that's my own personal bias. No, I think it's, it's just the truth is what it is. <laughs> it, it is. And then we have two new, uh, two new, relatively new partnerships that I'm particularly proud of. And uh, one is with the Anishinaabe Academy of Minneapolis. And the other one is with the American Indian Family Center out of St. Paul. And while many, many, many organizations have uh, some kind of land acknowledgement, which is really important, uh, Bellwood has gone the extra step and actually um, created, uh, not created, but reached out to have a partnership with these native communities. We have the land base that allows them to come and be here and practice some of their cultural teachings to have mm. programs out here that support all of their tribal learning. Um, they have a sweat lodge on one site. The Anishinaabe Academy brings their kids out to do learning several times a year. These are relatively new programs, so I imagine they'll grow over time, but just great to have that whole piece coming into mm -hmm. the picture so that we can learn too. I've learned so much about medicinal plants and the cultural significance of some of the different plants that wow. we have here on site. So it's a great, I mean, all of our partnerships are win-win. No money uh, changes hands. We learn from them. They learn from us. We provide infrastructure. They provide staffing and materials. And it's just a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. It's very much like a mosaic. Very cool. Ron Shera here with a question. Have you ever heard of an economic first responder? That's an economic first responder. Well, it's real. Think of Star Bank. Star Bank is saving local businesses as an economic first responder in the Twin Cities, the West Metro and rural Minnesota. StarBank has been helping small businesses keep their lights on, pay their rent, pay their employees for months now. In fact, StarBank has helped 629 local businesses during this pandemic. And they've been keeping small businesses on Minnesota's main streets as well. Keeping small businesses alive. Economic first responders, indeed. You know, StarBank is our local hero during this pandemic. Find StarBank at StarBank.net on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Bank locally with StarBank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. That's my choice, StarBank. Ron Shera here. We also want to thank North Dakota Tourism. You know, North Dakota is one of my favorite all-time hunting destinations. I can't believe it. It's the middle of the summer, and it's already time to start planning fall hunts in North Dakota. I have a few facts for you on the state's current hunting conditions. Get this, 2023 is one of the wettest springs on record, which means an estimated 3.4 million breeding ducks. That number is up from last year. Also, the 2023 spring pheasant crawling count survey is up 30% from last year. You add to that North Dakota's PLOTS program, you know, 800,000 acres of private land that is open to public walk-in hunting, and you have the perfect spot just waiting for your perfect fall hunt. Make memories and hunt North Dakota. Plan your adventure just like I do at hellond.com. Also, we'd like to thank Rudy Luther Toyota. 
Ready for a women-forward car dealership? Rudy Luther Toyota empowers their many women on staff in sales, management, and service. Whether you are looking for a new Toyota or pre-owned vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota has something for everyone. Every vehicle comes with a Luther Advantage. Ten cents off fuel and car wash discounts at holiday stations, Luther Advantage warranty, and five-day return policy on pre-owned vehicles. Located just five minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, off 394 and General Mills Boulevard. And they're also hiring. Want to join the team but don't know where to start? Visit RudyLutherToyota.com today. And uh, one special event that we actually filmed for Minnesota Bound is called Music in the Trees. Yeah, this was the brainchild of our program director, Susan Ha, and it is brilliant. We have, um, I'm sure people are uh, familiar with tree stands that deer hunters use. They're metal stands and you can put them up against a tree and it's about 15 or 16 feet in the air. And we have an aging red pine stand at our teaching site, um, our education property, um, just up the road from Afton. Okay. I'm fumbling here. Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, so uh, the trees were planted um, to mitigate erosion after bad farming practices of the thirties and forties. And so we have multiple pine stands around our properties. And this particular one, the trees were planted too close together and they didn't get thinned. And so it was an opportunity for the pine beetle to come in and they were just decimating some of these red pines. Red pines are not native to this area of Minnesota. They're native to the northern part of Minnesota. White pine are more indigenous to this area. Uh, so we started to take out these red pines and then we are replacing them with um, bur oak and white pine. And Susan had the idea that we should share this whole journey with the public. And we would lament the loss of the red pines and we would celebrate the incoming new trees and the creation of a more sustainable economic, uh, sorry, environmentally appropriate uh, habitat type. So musicians come over the course of two days and we have four, three or four tree stands set up against these red pines and the musicians climb up with their instruments or their voices and they play for 45 minute sets. And it's an amazing thing to walk into this pine forest and you can hear the wind and you've got the air on your face. And then this ethereal sound just drifts your way of a violin or a flute or some exotic instruments from Japan, or, I mean, it's, it's wow. the coolest thing. It's just August 19th and 20th, come to Bellwin and be a part of this. It's an amazing event. And then we have um, educational stuff. We have some, a little trail with some educational signing signage about the history of uh, the Bellwin landscape. And so it's a, it's just a really fun uh, program. I can only imagine with the, the, your, all of your senses going, and then you add music as you're walking back into a forested or wooded area. Um, and you get some, you know, birds chiming along with that. That just has to be heaven. It's amazing. And, you know, when you realize that they're sitting 15 or 16 feet in the air, 
and they pulled their saxophone or their whatever up there with them. It's, it's really unlike anything I've ever seen. I think it's, it was a brilliant idea and it's just a really great program. That is so cool. I would, I did not get a chance to uh, film that story. So I have not seen music in the trees personally, but it sounds heavenly and I should try to make that on the 19th and 20th, just as a um, great way to, you know, really sit quietly in nature. And not only do you have the natural sounds, but to add music to it. Um, that's like true therapy. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally is body, mind, spirit all the way. Absolutely. Um, and you know, I wanted to also just touch base briefly on some of the, um, trails that are always open and free for the public. So, you know, don't necessarily just need to attend an event or, you know, um, book a buggy tour per se, like there are beautiful places to visit within your park on, um, like your stagecoach trails and the tall grass trails. Um, of course you have the oxbow trails, which is more of a wooded area and it's, the trail is totally wood chipped. So it's so beautiful walking back there, but what are some of, um, you know, some of the species that, including butterflies and birds or any sort of wildflowers. We we were going over so much when we were out there. There's just so many things to see. But if you're, for instance, a, a bird watcher, are there what types of species are you going to find out in these trails? Well, right now, uh, we're kind of at the end of the nesting season here. So a lot of the birds will be uh, more quiet, but you'll still be able to hear eastern kingbirds, uh, field sparrows, the meadowlarks are still calling. And a lot of the family groups of birds now are not so much singing, but they're putting out their little psh or, or little clicks or just other little sounds that are uh, falling under the call category. So mm. you'll hear some songs, uh, but a lot of the calls, which I think are really interesting, and then to try to place them with a specific bird is something I like to do. But uh, also uh, tree swallows are out there and they're on their first nesting. So their babies are going to fledge pretty soon here. Bluebirds are out there and they're probably on their second nesting right now. And a lot of those um, eggs will be hatching and fledging. Um, we have kestrels on two of our sites, the tall grass trails. We have a nest box, which had, I believe it was five successful fledgings, fledglings this year. So you should be able to see that family group still up there kind of hanging around on the, the wires and the poles and doing some hunting over tall grass trails. And then at Stagecoach, we have a pair and I think they had four and they haven't fledged yet, but they should be any day now is um, the information that I just got this weekend. So um, lots of different birds out there. Um, what was the species that we saw? Because in the stagecoach trail, there are um, numerous bird houses up in the prairie. So that, of course, increases the uh, amount of birds you'll see. But what was the bird that we saw that had a nest with her little babies there? That was the tree that? swallow. Oh, yeah. okay. Those are so cute. Yeah, and they're fun because when you get close to the nest, <clears throat> as with any bird, you know, they're going to think that, oh, you might be a potential predator. So they'll do some aerial acrobatics and they might be bringing food in for their baby. So they might have a big juicy caterpillar hanging out of their beak and you can watch that. And yeah, I, I heartily invite everybody to come and walk our trails. There's just so much to see 
And you really do, especially at Stagecoach, you do get the feeling of being in a prairie, in a grassland. It's that swell, rise and dip of the landscape. And then it's the wind blowing through the grasses and it's expansive. So it's not like a city park. It's an expanse of um, prairie that gives you that feeling. Right now, it's kind of the season of um, purple and orange. So butterfly weed is just, it, this is the year of the butterfly weed. It's everywhere and it's beautiful, that bright, vibrant orange, which is really important nectaring plant for monarch butterflies and others. Uh, vervain, which is a tall plant that has little purple um Spires, that's a beautiful plant that's out there. Bergamot, you can use the leaves for tea. It's one of the mint family members. Uh, that's blooming pretty profusely right now. So lots of different colors. The big blue stem is also in flower. And what I love about that is those flowers are maybe the size of two pinheads. You have to look really close oh, to wow. see the flowers. But they just kind of dangle off of those um, seed heads. And they're, they're just these little yellow, tiny, beautiful, little, little colorful flowers. It's fun. It's such a beautiful area. And uh, we were walking through there and it, it is actually, you, you were right. It's 280 acres. That's about five miles of trails. So mm -hmm. um, great spot to take a nice long walk. Um, dogs are welcome on leash on this trail. Is that correct? On the stagecoach correct. trail? Yep. And tall grass as well. And tall grass. Um, and I see it's also open for wintertime for cross-country skiing and snowshoeing. Yes, and we have a uh, fundraiser going right now called Fund-A-Need, and we're hoping to get a tracker and a tracked Can-Am so that we can go out to tall grass and stagecoach and actually make a trail that would be good for skiing. We haven't to date. Mostly people have just gone out there with their own skis and snowshoes and made their own track, but we're hoping to be able to step it up a bit this winter and actually have a trail for people to, to uh, ski and snowshoe on and hike as well. My goodness. Well, Lynette, Lynette, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. As always, you are a wealth of information. Belwyn is such a special place um, it is so unique and has so many uh, wonderful offerings. I highly recommend stopping by and visiting and supporting Bellwin. And uh, of course, the policy of uh, leave no trace does apply when visiting these beautiful places. But is there anything else you wanted to share about Bellwin or uh, before we depart? I, I appreciate you sharing so many unique offerings that you have. Well, I just would like to thank you for the opportunity to talk about Bellwin because um, it's it's just such a great place. There are great people doing good things here. Um, I I love the work that we do. It's this for me isn't a job. It's really it's the work that I was put here to do, and I'm grateful for it. And if you want to know more about bison, you uh, sorry. If you want to know more about Bellwin. <laughs> You can go to bellwin.org and we have a lot of other different programs that are available. We have walks and talks and um, sometimes we open some of our parcels to the public when they're not typically open. Uh, so yeah, I just, I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk about this place and the work because it's really important work 
that needs to be done and people need to know about it. Absolutely. Well, you guys do a wonderful job and thank you for um, all you do to be such stewards of the land. And um, I had such a wonderful time with you and your team um, learning so much in such a short amount of time. Um, And of course, that's one of the blessings of, I feel like my job is I learned so many unique things from experts in the field, such as yourself. So I had um, such a wonderful time. So thank you for coming on the podcast today to, to share um, all of your knowledge and, um, and stories of, of bison and how unique they are. And of course with the rest of the property, um, to encourage others to, uh, cherish it as much as, um, as much as you do. Yeah. Thanks so much, Laura. Really appreciate being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again to our sponsors, Connecticut, Lakes Gas, Rudy Luther, Minnesota Propane, North Dakota Tourism, and Star Bank. And last but not least, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.